Hi, James. Ben, how are you? Good. Two greetings in a row for me. Wow, you're on fire. <laughs> I'm I'm friendly, Ben. Friendly, it's, Ben. It's, uh, a, it's a new me. No, no, <laughs> no more new followers for Testy Monk Ben today. No, I don't think so. I'm I'm off the off the Testy Monk Ben bandwagon. <laughs> He's gonna be disappointed. Yeah. Well, what are you gonna do? Yeah, I guess. Uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I, I, I think um, I presume our listeners are, are already tired of it, so we can probably move on. I don't know. Maybe that's why they're listening. Yeah, he's gonna give. He's gonna be. He's gonna be annoyed at this conversation. No. <laughs> um, so uh, speaking of testiness, um, we uh, we didn't talk last week about the kind of uh, disruption brouhaha, mm-hmm. um, which I thought we might. I, I actually kind of feel like I'm not sure how much time there is to spend on it. In, in a way, I, I was gonna write something about it yesterday and i just one i didn't think the piece was very good and two just kind of felt like it was kind of yesterday's yesterday's business in a way um i don't know uh i i kind of feel almost burned out on the whole thing fair enough i i understand it was it got yeah i don't know i mean there are two elements to it right one is the one is the interesting part about disruption and and so on, and then there was another part that kind of I don't know. It got it felt strangely personal, which wasn't much fun when stuff like that happens. So, well, I think it almost feels like. Um, so it's interesting because uh, uh, I actually, they're, they're, uh, you know, Joe Poor is a actually very prolific contributor to the New Yorker. So this is this isn't like her first piece by any means, and um, you know. She wrote a piece last December about uh, it was not only about polarization in in U.S. politics, mm-hmm. um, but it's kind of actually more specifically about uh, uh, like is political science like a valid like discipline, you know, like mm-hmm. um, and and she goes on like point out like a bunch of the problems with it, like you know, like there, there's this quote in here, like um, let me see if I can find here, like oh. It, it, you know, the, the discipline has failed to anticipate, I'm quoting, the discipline has failed to anticipate just about every important political development in recent history, from the end of the Cold War to the polarization of American politics. Like, I mean, it's a pretty damning indictment, right? Mm. Um, which which is true, and, and it's fair. But, but then she kind of turns around and says, and again, I quote, uh, to say that there are limits on what this research can explain is not to say that it lacks value. The collection of the data alone is invaluable, and the best work is formidable. Um, and I guess hmm. the whole thing that bugs me about the, about the whole thing is 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 you know was kind of the absence of a similar level of grace when it came to critiquing disruption or any theory, which which um, you know by def, by nef definition a theory is an abstraction from real life and is not going to be perfect. Right. I mean, yes, and I think I mean I, I actually think it's an potentially an interesting topic of conversation, the value of theory. And, and I mean, when we're not talking, when, when we're talking about business, we're talking about human behavior, we're imperfect creatures, we behave rationally, sometimes and irrationally, some other times. The, the way I like to think about this is, is business is like one long multivariable equation. And there are many, many things that influence it from how well someone executes and leads to how good an idea is. Uh, culture, all these things that we've touched upon over the past few podcasts. And, and one of those variables, to my mind, is undoubtedly disruption. Now, there's there's an implicit suggestion in, in the article that it's not predictive. I, I'm not entirely sure that, um, in fact, I, 
that that's probably framing it too gently. I I believe disruption is predictive, and it's predictive because uh, how is the best way to describe this? It's predictive because people are predictable. It's predictive but the same way that capitalism is 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 the way people behave in a capitalist society is by and large predictable. You put people inside a large organization with a profit motive, um, particularly if it's a successful organization, and there are incentives for them to do certain things. And those patterns play out time and time again. And that's why disruption is, I I find it such a useful frame um, or a useful lens to look out into the future because when you when you see that pattern and you understand the reason for it, like, and that's what good theory does. It, it it drives to the reason why something happens. It's not it's not correlative. It's causal. It's like what causes what to happen and why. When you when you see the pattern and you understand why, then it's actually a very useful mechanism to be able to make make like to have insight on the future. Whether you're outside a company looking in, like like we are in a lot of instances, or whether you're a manager inside a company deciding what action to take in the future. Sure, that's all That's all fine and well, and I don't not agree with you. Um, don't not agree with me. Uh-oh, I chose my double, I chose my double negative <laughs> carefully. Um, the, the problem, though, is, is, and I think this is something a lot, a, a lot, of, a lot of critics are, are fair to point out, is that, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of kind of, um, what's the word, uh, overfitting, like where, you know, like a statistical sort of thing where you have, where there's not, there's not enough data and you kind of, you kind of massage it to fit perfectly. Right. But then the problem is something new comes along and it doesn't match up. So you re, you kind of re-massage it. And, and the point is, I think this is the, this is where there is a very fair critique about it being predictive versus descriptive is, um, in, in any sort of high variable sort of circumstance, um, where, you know, even, even there's still even disagreement, even people who very much understand disruption theory, first mm. off, put away all those people who just throw out the word, but even people right. who understand it. There's, well, there, there's, there are a lot of people that do that, to be fair. And I mean, I think that was one of the things that, that um, Professor Lepore really got right. There's like a lot of people that, I mean, and part of the issue with that is that it has a, it has a, a meaning in traditional English language that, that happens to fit conveniently with what a lot of people are trying to say. But so there are a lot of people out there that do that. And I think that's part of what the problem stems from. Yeah, well, I mean, that, uh, a huge problem in her essay was she didn't distinguish at all um, between between the two. But at right. the same time, it is fair to say, like, I, I do question how much forward prediction there is. Like, you can you can say that the, oh, the circumstances are in place, um, but the, I think there's a real a real lack of counterfactuals um, when it comes to when it comes to disruption. Um, like what, where are the because by definition, all the sort of things that might have been disruptive but weren't are forgotten to history. And it's very easy to look at things that that have happened. and and this is yeah. actually where I think the the Christensen supporters are are in some cases, very guilty of the same sort of the same sort of thing that that Lepore is, um, you know, they, they're they want to be like Lepore wants to be so sure that that disruption doesn't exist, whereas the supporters want to be so sure that the theory is is good and perfect, and and they say, oh, you shouldn't look at 1997, you should look at it as as it is today because it's changed over the years. The problem is by well, by, hold saying, on. by saying that's unfair. Like well, like to for for someone in an article to pick on 
like the a, a, a business book that represented the start of research on a topic and to to take out to take out a concept with ignorance of the the 20 years of scholarship that's followed up i think like I, I, I'm like I don't know. I think that's an unreasonable criticism. If if your criticism is that people stretch it too far, then absolutely fair enough. But if to say that because people were upset that that there was a point in time at the beginning of the research that the theory was critiqued without any attempt to look at the way in which it had evolved over the following twenty years, effectively. I mean, I, I don't know. I feel like that's stretching a long bow. No, well, well just, just let, let me let me better articulate what I was trying to say. Okay. Um, I uh, I completely agree with what you just said about about you know, uh, Professor Lepore's you know, limiting herself to to 1997, basically. Um, my point though is, I think that the 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 those opposed to her essay, um. Also, to my mind, have too too much certitude in their in their certainty that that everything she says is wrong and that disruption theory is oh they say, you know they say oh it's evolved and and it's right now you know it, it's correct now and mm. I know you don't I don't know you don't say that but that's mm. the that's the way a lot of these a lot of the people who have written essays and tweets or whatever opposing this have come across that like oh. You are wrong to focus on 1997. It's evolved over the years, and now it's correct. But but that but it's not correct now, and that actually itself does the theory a disservice. But, right. Of it, course, that would do any theory a disservice. I mean, I mean, the only time, the only, I mean, I I feel like this is this is a function of a Twitter being 140 characters and b like the echo chamber that can be the internet sometimes like no theory is ever correct like until we get to the universal theory that explains everything that like an, another analogy that i used to describe research whether in management or science is they're like pylons going down into the swamp and they we lay them down and they support the weight until they don't and at the point at which we find some anomaly um uh, and and this is this is the thing that 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 good research is subjected to. People try and pull it apart. And I mean, I, this is one of the things that I most respect of Clay. He's been at the forefront of trying to pull it apart himself. Um, but you try and pull it apart, and you look for the anomalies where it doesn't work, and that's where you're able to learn. And so at that point, you then drive a pylon deeper down into the swamp, so it's able to support more weight. Um, yeah. th there's no point at which you can ever arrive at which the theory is perfect, and I, I don't know. I, I, but yes, I, I, the problem is though you're, you're 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 speaking very idealistically, and I'm not just talking about Twitter. The way the way it 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 ends up playing out in the real world is is uh, one like people are just like they can't they can't fathom an area where where it can't be right. Like hmm. I think you see this a lot when it comes to things like people's absolute insistence and this is pretty widespread that apple will suffer from low, low end disruption that that you know phones become good enough they're increasingly marginal uh, modularized and apple's going to be in trouble and and despite the fact that that didn't happen to the mac it didn't happen to the ipod people are certain it's going to happen and the only thing the reason they're certain is because they have to my mind gone from uh, reasonable from like what's the word trust but verify or no, that's not quite right but there's there's like doubt they they've moved from doubt to to blind faith right, right. and yeah. and and th this isn't Christensen's fault I'm not saying it is 
what I am saying though is it's the flip side of of what professional poor was was doing. It's it ju- it's just as bad to want to pretend something doesn't exist and to and to cherry pick examples why that's the case as it is to be certain that something's one hundred percent true. I mean, I completely agree, and and. I, I realize you've accused me of being overly idealistic, but the way that I was <laughs> the, the the way that I would think about what you've just described is to go back to that 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 analogy of like business being a multivariable equation. People are people are waiting um, modular integration and disruption. Perhaps they're waiting them too highly. There are other factors at play. There always are. There's timing. There's there's execution, there's design, there, there are all kinds of things that determine. That being said, like these, these theories are, are they, they may not be perfect, but they, they do represent, like they do show patterns and they are very, very helpful in terms of like deciding how to approach situations or assessing how others are approaching situations. Do they explain everything? Absolutely not. Do they explain a lot? I would say yes. No, I mean, you're. I mean, to be clear, you're preaching to the choir here. I mean, right. uh, two weeks ago, I wrote an article using disruption theory to explain why I thought there was a major opportunity in the console market. Like, I was using disruption in a predictive way. Like, so I mean, I, 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 I certainly agree that that it's useful. My, my broader point, though, I think what 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 frustrated me about this. Um, well, I just made it. I'm not going to repeat myself. Yeah, um, no, no, I know it's interesting though because it's it's the same point. Like, this is the. You know, this is this is a theme that's emerged among all these discussions is that people, and it's kind of funny because it sounds like Professor Laporte talked about it in the context of polarization. People just want the world to be black and white. And <laughs> the reality of it is as much as you want to try and force that to be the case, it's not. It's kind of gray, right? And and uh, it, it, management theory is is, again, a very helpful lens through which to look out on the world. But if I mean, again, until we get to the point where we have a universal theory of everything, which I'm pretty confident is a long way off, people who rely on it entirely or think that one or two theories are going to explain everything, they're just, it's its just, it's not realistic. So that that does lead me to a, a specific criticism that I have um, mm. of Professor Christensen and it, when it comes to Apple. Um, like, and he, to his credit, has you know very openly admitted that he got the iPhone wrong. Right. Um, but his reasoning is that oh, I didn't realize that the iPhone was disrupting computers. Yeah. So the, the so problem. Just a sec. Let's just a sec. The, the problem. That's fine and well. But the, what what irks me about that is one, it leaves unanswered the question of what happened to Nokia and, and BlackBerry. And two, like to me, it's like a great example of wanting disruption to apply everywhere. Um, you know, I, I I have you know as I I've coined I think it should be called something else. I I've coined obsoletive, but that's neither here nor there. My point is, like, I, I that specific instance I think does fit in with the criticism of like kind of trying to overfit. Right. Yeah. Well, so I, I mean, I'm, I, I get nervous when we're like, I'm, I like, I'm, I'm more comfortable talking about this in general than, uh, than specific instances of, of what professor Christensen may or may not have said that, that being said, I, I have had the, the, I was, I was lucky enough to study on under him and then work with him. And, the, the funny thing is that he did this research that is very applicable to the technology industry 
that being said, he is not, he's not a tech head. He's not like us. He doesn't, he's not up on the latest gadgets. He doesn't, he's not a heavy user of stuff. He's by his own admission, a pretty low end guy. And people, people put, you know, he's, he's famous for this work and, and, um, people will pose questions and, you know, maybe the right thing to do in some instances is just to say, look, I don't know enough about it, but he does what he always does is he, he pulls out the theories and he says, look, based on what I know, this is what I think is going to happen. And it, there, there is context. There is detailed context of within an industry that I think you need to understand to always be able to to be able to talk about right, this. Right. No, I, well, no, I'm not talking about the initial criticism of the iPhone, though. That's fine. He got it wrong. And and like I said, to his hmm. very great credit, he admitted he got it wrong. Right. And so I actually, I, I admire that. Yeah. Um, what 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 bothers me, it's not, I'm not personally bothered, but just from a, a, a intellectual standpoint, uh-huh. is the, is one, I was wrong. Ben says thumbs up. That's awesome. Two, yep. I was wrong because it was disruption. It was disruption of computers. Like, like maybe it just wasn't. Maybe it wasn't disruption. Maybe it was something different. Like that. That's that's. It's the kind of wanting to wanting it to still be explained by disruption. When when maybe like I almost feel like that was a case of almost stretching it too far. Like, maybe. I mean, I, I mean, that's that's an interesting question, and it's one to be posed to the readers. Do you think that? Smartphones are disrupting computers. No. What do you think? That, no, that's. Is that not? No, well, you're, okay, you're maybe tapping. I'm you're tapping. Like seriously, like you're tapping into what? In my frustration, so I'm going to get a little okay. upset here. Why well, don't? Yes, well, then, of course they're disrupting computers. That's. I'm not contending that. Okay. What I'm saying is that doesn't explain what happened to Nokia and BlackBerry, which, which, I, I, you know, I've tried to explain. I'm not trying to put myself on, on a pedestal or compare myself yeah. to Christians, Professor Christians, in any sort of way. But my point is, like, yes, I agree. Phones are interpreting computers. That still doesn't deal with that. that, that that's a sidestep. He didn't say that. Well, that's true. But no one's saying that phones are disrupt. Like the iPhone is disrupting BlackBerry. Like he said, they're disruptive relative to computers. And I, I think that statement is true. Now, it, you're right. It doesn't explain what happened to Nokia or BlackBerry. Right. But, and so, but so what irks me is, is when I made that argument, and I still mm-hmm. get this because it's it's been fairly widely circulated. It still gets relinked. And every time I get a, it gets linked somewhere, I get a new flood of tweets and emails saying, "Oh, you're wrong. Professor Christensen already explained it. It disrupted computers." I'm like, "That's not. That's not. I agree. I'm not arguing that. But there's there's what happened on on the underneath the iPhone, and anyhow, like that's that that's my point. It, it, yeah. I guess this, right. this, this no, is no, tapping no, my frustration that. in general. It's like what? Yeah. There's, there's a desire I, for disruption to explain everything in the world, and sure. that does. And it, the and it theory doesn't a disservice. Yeah, I I agree with that. I mean, if 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 your point is there's a, if if your point is that people are using it, they're they're ramping up the value of that variable to a hundred percent. Then absolutely, I agree with you. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm in terms of the I, I don't I don't want I don't want to bring out testy monk bent, but it's the, too late. Um, it's too late. See, we started off on such a good footing, and now look what's gone and happened. I I, I don't know, like this is interesting so the if we want to if we want to keep digging into disruption and and you wrote a really interesting article what i mean <laughs> i'm i wasn't a fan of the title but i was a fan of the content what clay christensen got wrong i mean it's like a it's a pretty interesting critique of disruption but 
like along the 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 interesting thing about it the interesting thing about the way that disruption is defined is its performance of a job along the um along the y axis right it's it's and that's a like that's that's where the art to this whole thing comes in right it it still requires judgment to understand what that is and your point was that um in that article um was that it's it's harder like it doesn't do as good a job of explaining um consumer phenomenon and i would say that's to a certain extent true now where performance of the job relies less on functional elements and more on emotional elements it's harder for someone to come along and disrupt something because like the nature of a disruption is there's a scalable technical a scalable technical advantage sitting inside the disruptor such that when performance matches there's some kind of price advantage in in the the low-end solution that allows it to either outperform or underprice the high-end solution now, when you're talking about emotional purchases like, I don't know, fashion, for example, it's it's much more emotional. Yeah, there's a much higher degree of emotional than there is functional. And because it's it's harder to get technology involved in that, it's it's harder for disruption to take root. Now, that being said, it it I mean, I think you made the point that this only happens in B2B. And I I would I would say no, that's not entirely true. And your article the other week about how disruption is happening in the console business proves that to be the case. It does happen in consumer businesses. It's just that as as the emotional component of performance plays a larger and larger role in the job to be done, it becomes harder for technology to enable a disruption to take place. Um, I, uh, that was good. <laughs> no testy monk fan. Um, no, I, I, one uh, thumbs up on hoisting my own petard when it comes to talking about consoles. Um, I will say the disruption hasn't happened yet. I'm saying that there, I think the Wii definitely showed there there was an opportunity um, for various reasons that I've talked about on other podcasts didn't happen. But no, I think that's good. It's it, it, perhaps I was mistaken to draw a a clear line between B two B and and B two C. Um, Without kind of getting into because like that that's more a symptom of the cause, right? If you're right. a a purchaser exactly. for multiple people is by def is almost by definition not going to care about an emotional component, and right. and I I talked about user experience specifically, um, but I think I think there's places where user experience as a, as a definition yeah. works better and emotion works better. But you're right, it's the same it's the same concept. I'm just talking because I have nothing to add because that was good. No, 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 and it's not to say that. Um, disruption can't take place where there are um there like in in like highly emotional like the 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 job to be done is highly emotional and in fact i mean because there's always still a degree in in yeah, almost well, every instance that... there's al- almost always a degree of functional performance and if someone comes out with a bag that has that has i don't know that's like the tardis from <laughs> doctor who where you can put as much in it as you want and just reach in and pull anything out <laughs> like no one's going to go out and buy a fendi assuming that's a reasonable price no one's going to go out and buy a fendi bag because there is still a degree of functional performance associated yeah. with having a bag see you're wrong about that and this and, okay. and i know this well maybe i <laughs> maybe unfortunately I, yeah. I know too much about the bag industry and yeah. they're, they're not going anywhere um, yeah <laughs> uh but no, I think I think the actually on apparel it's 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 inter- it's interesting actually. 
um, you know, as you see with the rise of, of stores like Zara and, and Uniqlo, um, I think there is a very sort of disruptive element to, to what they're doing. Um, and that, 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 that's very compelling. I, I, don't, I mean, so, so what's always interesting and the first thing I always ask people when they, so in keeping with your, um, in keeping with your frustration at the start of people throwing around the word, but, but not necessarily using it correctly. Like whenever you hear someone use the word disruptive, the first thing you have to ask, is it truly disruption or is it just low end price competition? Right? So like, uh, the Holiday Inn is not disruptive relative to the Four Seasons because if the Holiday Inn wants to move up market to the point where it gets to, it, it wants to compete with the Four Seasons, it has to do all the same things that the Four Seasons does. It needs to hire a concierge, needs to put in expensive fabrics, expensive furnitures, nice restaurants, so on. It does all these things and all of a sudden its cost structure matches the four seasons altogether. The yep. difference between those two hotels is not disruption; it's 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 low cost price competition. The the thing no, this, this that is, in- absolutely no, it, like disrupt like to the the phrase that I always come back to and everyone goes on this thing is disruption is about business models. Yeah, well, it's it's normally about both. It's normally about some kind of scalable advantage, and that can either be on a te- it can either be technology, or it can be business model, or it can be both. Right. And so whenever and, and the you most hear- powerful ones are both. Yes, absolutely. And whenever you hear someone say this is disruptive, you need to think, okay, well, relative to the incumbent competition right now, if these guys tried to do the same thing and, and, you know, give them some runway, like they have, they have scope to improve, but imagine out to the point at which they improve to get to performance at the same level of the incumbent. Do they have some kind of scalable advantage? Now, this is the thing where I would say Airbnb could well be disruptive. Yeah, no, to- it, so it's funny. You just wrecked my conclusion for the show, right? Oh, no, because, have I? Well, I, I was going to tie You everything had the in. conclusion all thought out. Ben, was, this is a conversation. I was going to tie everything in a nice bow, um, but we'll save it. We'll, we, we, okay. We, we, can, we can save it. We, I just yeah. foreshadowed okay. the conclusion. Well, or you can, I mean, you're God when it comes to this, Ben. You can, you can go back and cut this <laughs> no, out in this conversation. Air, Air, Airbnb, Airbnb, Airbnb being, being yeah, because so Airbnb is disruptive, I think, because um, it, it has a scalable advantage. So it, you are one of the cool, one of the coolest scalable advantages that I think is out there is the use of idle assets. So right now in any city, there are a bunch of rooms that are, that are laying idle and people are already paying for them. Um, so any any additional revenue that they can generate from having those rooms used is actually money in their pockets. And so relative for, for an organization like Airbnb that's able to pull together the data on all the rooms and all the apartments and all the houses all around a city that are idle at any one point in time and make it readily accessible for someone who wants to stay there, suddenly someone who wants to stay there, well, I can stay in one of these places and because of the fact that it was going to be idle, it's probably going to be cheaper than an organization like a hotel, which had to like has invested to build the building specifically for um, specifically for um, having guests stay and has this entire cost structure around serving those guests and so on. So there is a scalable advantage built into something like Airbnb versus the hotels. Well, but when it's, you, it's not just the fact that it's idle. It's 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 the fact that the the marginal cost of bringing right. an additional property online are zero. 
Well, I mean, that, yes, that's, you know what, that's a much nicer way of putting it. Yeah, I mean, because like to add an additional Airbnb property to somebody needs to sign up and Airbnb doesn't need to spend a single cent. Whereas right. to bring another hotel room online is tremendously right. expensive. Right. Uh, but that, that's, absolutely, that's absolutely part of it. But also there's the incentives of the actors involved. And, yep. and one of them is like this room sits idle. So anything I can generate over and above it being idle or the, the value to me of it being idle, like that's money in my pocket. And there's, and no, there's no worry about like about hurting the brand by having it too cheap right. or having, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's and it's and they've they've done a great job decentralizing it. Like they've built in a rating system such that um, you know it, actors again on both sides of the equation have an incentive to behave well. Like p- people do a good job of providing a good experience. Guess because they're reviewed, like like they <laughs> there's an incentive for them not to go or rock star on the house. You know, like the system is really well thought through, but that scalable advantage that we've just talked about, both from the actor's point of view of, of, of assets lying idle and your point absolutely about the marginal cost of bringing on another room is effectively, or another, another property is effectively zero. It's, um, yeah, that's, that's disruptive. Well, and this is, this is the thing, and this is where, this is the most disappointing part of, of Professor Lepore's essay is, um, she tried to kind of she had this weird like defensive journalism and and which really again like the, I, the first part of the essay I think was actually quite compelling and and that really spun it off the tracks in a way that it, it kind of felt like a very like really sticking the head in the sand and 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 it was very poignant I, I feel in a way that actually it was Professor Christensen of all people who in his response mentioned that hotels hadn't been disrupted. Yeah, so and, so no, like, no, which is fine. I know you just said he's not a tech head and he's not yeah. in the industry, which is which is fine. But I, I thought it was, I thought it was kind of symbolic in a way of of almost the pointlessness of the whole debate, in that, in that, Airbnb is 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 to my to our mind clearly disrupting hotels, right. and yes. and it's under it's understandable way. I mean, Professor Christian, he's near retirement. He's he's you know he's had a he's had a stroke. Um, he's he, we it's it's totally reasonable for him to not keep up on all this stuff that's happening. And and part of that is not just his, his himself personally, but there's just so much happening. Like right. there is a massive amount of change going on, and so much of it is driven by by the internet and by by this concept of there being no marginal cost to bring on additional units of capacity. Like that 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 core concept of the internet is necessarily disrupting almost everything it comes in touch with because it it's like you have it right there in a box. You what's the key thing for disruption? It's it's this ability to scale for free basically. And right. and the internet that that's what the internet does by definition. And I don't know. No, I mean, yeah, I mean, so, so I, I, I wanna, I wanna get two cents in. I do think that um, Professor Lepore was quite compelling in terms of talking about people applying it willy nilly. I, I think, I don't know the research super well, but from what I've heard, that the, uh, the assault, the, the, implica- the implicit attack on the research not having been done correctly or being or mispainting a picture is 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 not actually correct but i don't want i don't know that research super well and i don't want to get into it that is a point what? actually it would be great if um 
it would be great to have kind of a go-to. I, I don't know if this exists or not, and maybe if you know, you can tell me if our if our listeners know. Um, by the way, I don't even mention this, but we do have a feedback form on X. Oh yeah, FM. let us know what you comment. think. Um, yeah, or tweet us, please. Yeah. Um, but, but if there were, it would be great to point to say, oh, I can point to here, and it's like a, it's like the summary of where the theory stands today. All the important like twenty or twenty five articles or or books that that have built to where it is, because it, it actually it, it's still it's still people still advise people to go read the innovators dilemma, which is fine because it's still very strong I, I would, theoretical yeah, perspective. Yeah, that's but true. Like, I would whenever people ask me, I actually encourage them to read the solution. I mean, the dilemma lays out the problem very nicely, but the solution, uh, in terms of um. I, I don't know. I, in terms of actually being a manager or or, or looking out on the world, I, f- I find that the, there's been a like a subs- like a, a a substantial amount of refinement has taken place even between those two books. It's a, it's a fantastic book, and I would highly recommend it. I don't. I think, that, but I don't know. Just it feels okay, like okay. there's there's a like just as much as Professor Lepore and and her and those who agree with her wish disruption didn't exist mm-hmm. it, it feels like there's on the other side um a lot of this kind of like you know this this whole host of of, of for lack of a word like disruption advocates or or practitioners or whatever like want their want very much there to be a a ready-made solution that they can deliver to managers or yeah you know, but there's no such and, thing well like, I, I know but it, i i know but that's not that's not how it's sold yeah, so uh, who, I, I'm not going to try and defend that because I don't know who I'm defending. I, I don't know. I mean, I certainly, I've, I've never seen, I mean, in so much as anything, Professor Christensen agreed with Professor Lepore about exactly that point. And I would agree with you. There are, there are always, the term I think she used in the article, hucksters that come along and try and take advantage of an idea. I mean, but I think that happens with every big idea, whether it's any any kind of innovation or anything. There's always someone coming along trying to um, trying to <laughs> hijack the idea and use it for their own ends to like lay that at the. I mean, again, I I don't think you were, but the the article certainly does lay it at the feet of Professor Christensen, which I think is ridiculous. Now, well, this this comes to another point that I want to make, and that is. And, and this kind of ties back to the earlier conversation around good theory and good research. And there is a book that I recommend everyone listening to this podcast read called The Halo Effect. And it basically goes into the way in which like good research is done and then the way in which bad research is done and the way in which that bad research is used to fool managers. And it's a great handbook at guiding you to be a skeptic around some of this stuff. I highly recommend it because it helps you. I mean, I don't know. You pick up, you pick up any management magazine or management journal or whatever, and it's telling you to do these ten things or these twenty things, and it's impossible to figure out what's good advice and what's bad advice. This book is like a handbook to my mind of like telling apart. This is how to tell apart what's what's good from what's not. So this is a very, I think, fundamental question about disruption i'm i don't know that i'm convinced that that it is and we've talked about this previously that it is ultimately in the big picture productive for management to actively try to avoid it in a way like it it seems 
it often seems like it's it's a easy recipe for destroying shareholder value. Forgive, yeah, forgive the maybe, phrase. Maybe um, to pursue something that that the like because when an organization we've this, talked about this, it's built up over time. It builds up cultures. It builds up cost structures. It builds up all this sort of all, this entire edifice to support a certain business model. And when an when an you know orthogonal business model comes along. That that presupposes a completely different cost structure. That presupposes a completely different culture, a completely different way of delivering something. Um, it, it certainly seems that that from a net society benefit, the, the it would be better to invest money in a startup that can, from day one, build itself around that new opportunity than to try to bend an oak tree into an, a pretzel. So no one, no one who has talked about the theory of disruption has advocated bending an oak tree into a pretzel. The question just becomes like if, if, it's, if the prescription is to go out and build a startup and anyone, anyone conceivably can, not everyone, not everyone will, but anyone conceivably can, should it be an, the organization that already has some degree of experience and some degree of advantage in competing in that industry or should that organization um, sit idly by and let someone else do it? Now, I don't presume to have an answer to that. That being said... Well, what's the, your opinion? My opinion is that if... it, My opinion would be it would depend on how... <laughs> It would depend. I mean, well, like, come on. We can't talk about complaining about black and white and you force me into being black and white. Let me give you the circumstances. Fair enough, fair enough. For example, I think what, like, Netflix did with going, the shift from using mail by DVD to um, to an online platform, like, they were facing, it, it wasn't complete, like, there, it's, it, disruption is a spectrum, right? There's the extreme stuff and there's more moderate stuff. They were facing something in the middle and to their credit, they figured out how to do it. And part of it was that they kept the organizations, again, as far as I'm aware, they kept the organizations really quite separate. Um, they linked in data around user preferences so it became transparent. They tried to separate it out to the point where it was branded differently. And that was a little bit of a disaster. But from, the, from a back-end perspective, they kept it separate and they have managed to make the switch from being an organization that mailed DVDs to people to um, to now provides a majority of its content online. Now, if I was a Netflix shareholder, I would be very glad about the fact that they did that. Now, yeah, that was being that, said- Was that really, I mean, it was still the same business model, wasn't it? I don't know. I, 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 it's, a fair, it's a fair example. I just question, like, to me, it, it's more of a moving from like directionally- 12 o'clock to 1 o'clock as opposed to Maybe. Like 12 I mean, o'clock, 6 o'clock. And again, it's always a spectrum. And I guess my point on depends is as it moves closer to 6 o'clock, it gets harder to do that. But the basic, the basis is like you're sitting inside a business and you have a very profitable business and you're reporting to shareholders on that business and you want to deliver numbers to those shareholders. Now, it's really hard when you're inside that business to invest in something that that A, takes money away from the bottom line, but B, like if it's unsuccessful, you've just lost the money. If it is successful, it's taking money away from your existing operations. A lot of organizations would much prefer to shut their eyes and assume, well, if I don't do it, nobody's going to do it. Therefore, I'm just not going to do it. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's, a, that's a caricature. Like 
again, from, from an organizational perspective, like it depends on your context. If you look at it from within the organization, to your point, there's clear incentives and it makes sense why they would want to ignore the new opportunity. What I'm saying is from the perspective of, of an industry or from society as a whole, I would just as soon the incumbent companies do what they're best at. But from industry or society as a whole, I don't necessarily think industry or society as a whole should be opining on this. It's a, it, this is actually one of these things where the, the responsibility should be devolved to to management and potentially to shareholders though though we've had our back and forths as to as to where where like the best place for decisions to to lie in in that relationship well, but, and this is this is an area where where I think the balance ought to be more on the shareholder side like is it is it better to have um you know Google investing in a social network or to have that or would it be better to have that money flowing to Facebook or to, or to ben, Line or whatever. Isn't, isn't that just from 12 o'clock to 1 o'clock? No. Well, I, that's Google. the question. That's the question though, right? Like that's the question. It's a it's a case of it, it, it should be a case for management. Now, I, I mean, I don't know. It, there's no reason why Blockbuster shouldn't have been able to start up something like Netflix. In fact, they had an opportunity to buy them for something like 75 million or 85 million, if I'm not correct, but they passed up on that opportunity. Now, if I was a Blockbuster shareholder, I'd have been mighty pissed about that. No, now, but see, see the, again, that the, they were totally different business models, like with totally different cost structures. And this is why I think like to look at disruption and understand why some companies get disrupted and why some don't, you have to start at at the cost structure level. Like right. Blockbuster was, their entire organization was structured around physical retail locations, which brings certain like tons of but fixed the, costs. But they're not in the business of owning stores. They're in the business of delivering entertainment. Now, if you're an organization and you recognize, I mean, this is why I think mission-driven organizations are less prone to being disrupted because they become less fixated on where the cost lies and more fixated on the mission. Now, the mission of Blockbuster was to deliver entertainment to people wherever they were. If they were focused on that mission, the fact that they own stores shouldn't have mattered. And this is the thing that I think is awesome about Apple. It's mission-driven rather than cost-structure-driven. Like, the mission is to deliver great products. Now, if that means they have to get into phones, if that means they have to get into iPads or iPods, that's where they'll go. See, this is, yeah, no, no, I... I that's to me. This is like fairy tale talk. Like, Ooh, I mean, like fairy tale talk. No, I mean, like, like for Blockbuster, it's all fine and well to say they were the entertainment business, but like when it comes down to actual like being in a business and day to day, on from a management perspective, and two from a shareholder perspective, and the 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 optimal allocation of capital, like I think that that falls apart. And when it comes to Apple being a counterexample. But it was going to fall apart anyway. That's the thing. Like they were on path to fall apart. So fine. Like if, I mean, the, the thing that that's frustrating about Blockbuster is if you read the shareholder, like there are shareholder meetings and reports of those shareholder meetings going way back. They didn't even, they refused to recognize the writing on the wall. Like this, it wasn't even a, or in so much as you believe they were telling the truth, but there are quotes about them, like shareholders coming to the meetings and saying, what are you guys doing about this? This is a thing. People are starting to do this. People are starting to get these DVDs by mail and it's actually pretty compelling. Why aren't we doing this? And they're like, you know what? 
The quote went something like that. We've looked at the way at which people get entertainment and we haven't found any compelling alternatives that would cause us to question what we were doing. You know, but but here's here here's here's my counter to that. Uh-huh. Like Blockbuster's share price on 2004 was was $22. Um by 2008 it was $3. And to me that's great. Like that's exactly what should have happened. Like Money was taken out of like, like that. The managers like. Uh, I wouldn't want to be a manager presiding over that. You're welcome to the job if you'd like. But is the job of a manager to preserve a manager's job? Like to me, this is to me this is a very very core question that we we've come back to multiple times. Yeah. Like, so should the goal of a company be to continue the the company? No, or, of course not. Like, the, but that the seems to be what you're saying. No the perpetuation. Thank you. That's the word. The, the perpetuation of the company is not the goal. Like I said, I think most people would agree that the mission of Blockbuster was to deliver entertainment. Now, if I'm an executive inside of that company, my job is to find ways of satisfying my customers. Like, like the it's the Drucker quote, the purpose of a business is to create a customer. Now, if the way I have done things in the past is no longer what my customers want, then I have a responsibility to evolve. Or you're right, I'll die. And that's fine. Like, like that's evolution that's fine but like assuming i am a manager inside that organization i do not want to be the one i personally do not want to be the one presiding over that like that's not and maybe there are people who are who are happy to to like be i i don't know like again there maybe there are people out there who are happy to preside over an organization as it goes through that but it's not the kind of thing i would want to do see to me this this is this is again i mean it, it, it's it's kind of fantasy talk like to 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 like I, I no no let me let me let me give you a, an extreme example to, to get what i'm saying to get what mm-hmm. i'm saying please to to uh, i love the jobs to be done framework it makes a ton of sense but at, to say that blockbuster's role in the world was to provide entertainment is so broad as to become meaningless it's like saying that a horse and buggy manufacturer's job is to provide transportation and so they it ought, is. and so they ought to have but but the next step makes no sense to say that they ought to have led the auto revolution like that but who was be- well who was better placed to do it <laughs> not them that's my point they were not the worst from, not place them, to, to no do it. not them because if you think about it from a profit and loss perspective absolutely if you think about it from uh, an operations perspective knowledge of producing things if you think about it from the perspective of creating things that move people it then of i i i I'm not sure I agree. No, but th- again, that that that's that's exactly my point. To 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 seriously suggest that a horse and buggy manufacturer was better placed to produce an auto than someone starting from scratch is is absurd. But like, all they were were horse and buggy, like they were buggies with engines in them. So yeah, there was there was no knowledge of the engine technology, but. I, I mean, I get what you're saying. I think we just fundamentally disagree. No, I like, mean, it's like it, I, if I am a manager str- inside one of these organizations, it is my like. <laughs> no, this I, is, 
this is my criticism of, of this is like a perfect encapsulation of what I was trying to get at when I criticized this Russian theory. It's way overfitting and overstretching it. But to, I'm not, wait, I'm not talking about disruption. No, 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 no. no. Like, I'm, saying, I'm not saying, it, I'm saying it's of a piece. Like it's the same. Like, oh, to say that, come on. You're drawing a long bow. Let's stay on topic here. Like you, <laughs> don't, don't accuse bow, me. Don't accuse me of saying because I, I'm saying that horse and buggy manufacturers could have been well, but for their focus on profit and loss, but for their focus on their business model rather than their focus on mission, they could have actually been well placed. Like they are transportation companies. Like what, what is they their, should be the ones figuring that out. What is what was a horse and buggy manufacturer's competitive advantage when it came to transportation? Uh, it was so nothing. Like in fact, as opposed to someone who hadn't done it before, absolutely. I'm not sure that's true. No, no. because they. They, they, no one knew anything about, no one knew anything about. So uh, if about, it's an instance of creating something where it's actually an advantage to not know anything, if you're talking, I mean, all right, so he, he, he comes the depends, right? Like if, if it's actually, if the curse of knowledge means it's harder for you to go into it, then, then yeah, maybe you're right. But again, like in instances of disruption, the solution isn't to take the incumbent organization and to try and to try and ram in the the new disruptive technology or the new disruptive business model it won't work the aim is to incubate something that ends up cannibalizing the the core so but, you're building something that ends up swallowing what you already have but, but my um, point is the the, the I, I i this is where I, this, I i have a problem with this i think for block to bring it back to blockbuster sure i think blockbuster relative to reed hastings and an idea Blockbuster was at a significant competitive disadvantage. And that disadvantage was their pre-existing business model, their pre-existing ways of making money, and that matters. Like, I don't see anything in what Blockbuster already had other than th this theoretical idea that they ought to so, own entertainment. So what do you think of the fact that no one inside Apple owns a profit and loss other than the CFO? Like, what's your opinion of that? Well, okay, so... when. The the problem I have with Apple as an example. No, 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 no. no, no. I feel I feel like I've been very diligent in answering your questions, and I, I feel like you should answer this one. Like, you're focusing on profit and you're focusing on business models, but I, I'm saying that that's that's not a good way of thinking about the world. I want to know what your opinion is of Apple not having anyone inside the organization own a profit and loss other than the CFO. I think it's. I, well, I'm not going to let you pin me down. Just like yeah, I'll let you pin you pin you down. <laughs> I think it's it's potentially compelling. I I I have written things suggesting that it's very compelling. Right. The only the only hesitation I have in holding up Apple as this shining example of defeating disruption is that Apple has never I'm, changed its business model. But I'm okay. So granted, I I'm I don't want to. The the point wasn't to get into holding up Apple as a shining example, no. but rather like illustrating illustrating the usage of business model and profit profit and losses. The reason why you shouldn't do something is actually a bad reason, and I think. This is some. This is something that that we've touched on a little bit in these conversations. In that, it's. I don't know. I think. I think a lot of organizations focus on um, pr profit is necessary but not sufficient. Like all this stuff is necessary but not sufficient. And I think part of the reason why, um, part of the reason why businesses do get disrupted is because they they let things be determined. They they make decisions 
based on profit and loss. And when you when you shift that away towards more mission-driven, more customer-driven, the likelihood of you being disrupted goes down because you look at your customers and you say not, oh, I can't do that because of my business model. You say, oh, look, here's a, here's, here's a way I can satisfy a customer fundamentally differently. And it, it's different from what I've had. So I'm probably going to start something new. But because I'm here to help customers, because I'm here to do something to, to make a ding in the world in whatever way that is, I need to do something different. And maybe I can't do something different inside my existing organization because of the way I've set it up. So I need to go set it up somewhere else. Maybe. Like that, my, my point is like what you just said, I have said as well in, in, in several articles. And I've said it about Apple. I've said it about Amazon. In, in contrast to a company like, like Microsoft, mm. um, which is very, you know, number and, driven. And my, right. Just a second. Um, Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm hesitant to draw any grand lessons, given the fact that Apple has the same business model today that they had in 1978, and and I, I applaud them. I admire the company. Obviously, I think that the focus on the customer is fantastic. I've written. Um, as we talked about, that I think it is a way to avoid disruption. But I'm also, I'm also, I try to approach anything, and this is comes back to my criticism of the whole debate in general. I try to approach everything with a healthy skepticism, not skepticism, yeah. but but doubt. Like I'm with it's you. So hard I'm with to be, you. It's so hard to be sure, and maybe maybe that can lead long term. But if if we ever do get to a world where there is no device. Like we talked about this last week, where there is no device, there is nothing you touch. Right. Where everything is about services and about reaching everyone at a very low margin. I have a hard time seeing how Apple survives in that world, not because they they will go down caring about the customer, but with an obsolete business model. Like the the and that's I don't know. Right. I I mean I don't know either, and that's going to be an interesting one to watch. But I think it's more likely. They go down in that scenario because they lack the capabilities to compete in that new world. Like they have a they have a set of capabilities that are that are not suited to fighting in that world. And if if it becomes the case that it is so fundamentally different from what they've done in the past, and the traditional kind of like let's firewall up a new product group um, behind seven layers of security and not let them talk to anybody, if if that's not going to be enough, then they have to do what everyone else has to do which is like they have to start to think about we need to create something new that's going to replace what we used to have or i mean they they like they go the way of the dodo and and that's life right but i mean part of the reason i think people love apple and it's it's a great company is because they've again you're right the business model hasn't fundamentally shifted from when it started but they have made brave decisions that have cannibalized existing products. And again, it's not as hard as completely rebuilding a business model, but for a business to do that is incredibly, it's it's quite rare and it's incredibly brave because in, in retrospect, it, these look like no-brainer decisions. But at the time when you're investing to build something that could take out what you already have, you, you don't know how it's going to go. That, that's, that's, all fine. that's all fine and well, and I completely agree. And, and, and I think this... I think this gets at the limits of what management can or cannot do. 
and management can 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 be strong and can be visionary and can cannibalize its own product. But what I have a much harder time come agreeing with is that management can fundamentally change their their cost structure, their, their the entire way that this edifice, this institution yeah. is set up. And but- and that and to me I feel disruption theory and all this sort of stuff would be would be more compelling with with a little more a little more doubt and a little more grace. No, I'm not saying I'm not saying on. no no I'm not saying Professor Christensen doesn't have doubt and grace. I, I'm saying there the the kind of the, there just as like it's 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 I disagree with Professor Rapport being like too skeptical. I, sure. I do think it's just as bad to be too trusting. I, and that's- I, look, I agree. I look, you're not going to get any argument from me, and and it's a longer story as to how it happened. But like part of the reason I got the opportunity to work with Professor Christensen is because I expressed an extreme amount of skepticism in his class, and most people would would back away from that. He he really embraced it. Yeah. Um, no, it's all- one one thought has come to mind as we've talked about this though, like. Do you think IBM has fundamentally changed its business model over the course of the past few decades? They do, and I think I think they're a very interesting and and compelling you know, compelling company to talk about. We we it, I would love to talk about them more sometime. Actually, what, what's and it's particularly compelling now because there's a lot of um, there's a big question as to whether like they finally they, like the. They've they may they may be done, yeah. Um, but no, let's 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 do that. We should talk about IBM sometime because to me they are one of the top five most fascinating companies to study, like right up there with Apple and and anyone else. Um, just for the way they've the way they, yeah, for all the reasons we, you just said. Yeah, it's interesting because I mean they it's fascinating because it's it, I think they actually might have pulled off what what we were just talking about then like they have fundamentally changed their business model and not once but at least a couple of times yep no let's 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 definitely talk about this sometime um we we kind of spoiled my my conclusion but um please ben pretend i didn't say anything no no go ahead i want to hear what you're did are you going to read it i want you to read it well going back to (laughs) professional poor's other essay the one about polarization um Uh it's we'll put a wink in although unfortunately it's behind a paywall it's called long division but in the end, she says, um, and I'm, I'm going to quote, uh, uh, all intellectuals, as Bruno Latour once pointed out, are nearly always one critique too late. And then this is a quote within the quote. Entire PhD programs are still running to make sure that good American kids are learning the hard way, that facts are made up, that there is no such thing as natural, unmediated, unbiased access to the truth, that we are always prisoners of language, that we always speak from a particular standpoint, and so on, while dangerous extremists are using the very same argument of social construction to destroy hard-won evidence that could save our lives. And it, it's, a, it's a little hard to unpack, particularly when speaking it. I'll, maybe I'll stick the whole quote in the show notes. Mm. But the idea is, is um, there's some, like, she's, she's almost, there's almost bemoaning that, that there is value in in skepticism and, and in doubt and like looking at the social construct of language and stuff. But even at the same time, there's by overly embracing it, 
people are like destroying what what is there and what what has come before. Yeah, I mean, and, again, I think it's balance, right? I, I worry she's taking it, she's taking this too far. I mean, we can be skeptical about everything, but at the at the same time, like get out there and build something and do something as opposed to just take. Well, see, I had a, I had a different takeaway actually. Um, to me, the, this entire debate is is more on the, you know, it's, it's talking about like, it's a critique, it's a critique too late because the reality is, mm. is the internet is here. The yeah. sort of companies and disruption that it's enabling are here and the ship has sailed and Airbnb right. is, is, is disrupting the hotel industry and, do, and Uber yeah. is disrupting the transportation do you industry. Know, do you know what? It's funny. You're bringing up the, the fundamental point in her essay that I really agreed with that she she conflates way too many things but i think one of the th- in my opinion uh with all due respect because she's a harvard professor and she's a new yorker writer but she there is a there is a fundamental complaint about and it's i think it's conflated about progress and the gains from progress and i wish she'd pulled them apart because i i don't want to stop progress and i'm sure that most of the people listening to this show think progress fundamentally is a good thing and I think this is something you and I have touched on already, that the way in which we're, we're dividing the spoils, I'm not sure we're doing a good job of it. And I think that's part of what she was getting at. And I wish it had been a more considered approach that she'd taken to having that discussion that, the, that as a result of disruption, there, there is this pain that is happening. And rather than a considered, I, I don't think it was a considered discussion on on how to solve it. It was just a, a it felt like a broadside at the entire the entire thing, like like the phenomenon that's observed it, and all these these the the pack of Silicon Valley kids that are out here trying to ruin all these these old institutions that have done so much good in the world. I, I wish that had been a little bit more disaggregated in the article. Well, I'm not sure if that. Uh, yeah no you, you no no i i no i i i agree i think um i i'm more that was more an internal talking to myself i'm not sure if that translated in speaking as good as i hope as well as i hope to what i've been writing but regardless the, the point is i think yeah uh, I, I i'm calling this debate done and 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 put to bed about the article and spe- specifically but I think we raised a whole bunch of new questions that are certainly worth considering. Yeah, it was a fun discussion as it always is. Sounds good. Well, uh, we will we will talk soon. Sounds good, mate. Take it easy. Later.